This is my third attempt at this because that's what happens when you have, you know, mind going a million miles a second. You're not entirely sure how you don't sound stupid. So, perennial Christian question. How do you reconcile personal ambition with contentment? Came across this question when I was standing in between two friends talking to each other who are both business mindsetted. Mindsetted? Yes, we're going to run with that. And that is not me, but I found it an interesting conversation nonetheless. One's a co-worker who is elder than I am in experience in years, and the other is a friend, a peer, who is younger than I am, but again, business-minded, and that is not me. And this question came up, how as a Christian do you reconcile Paul's admonitions to be content with your life and this drive for personal ambition, which you especially see in things like business and also politics. Well, catalyzed some thoughts, so did what I always do, went to a dictionary. And being somebody who's Latin-oriented, I actually went to the Latin first and also to the Greek, because, you know, that's what the New Testament was written in. But I kind of, like, restrained myself and I went to the English. Okay, let's just look at ambition. Merriam-Webster. Ambition is defined as either A, ardent ambition for rank, fame, or power, or, definition B, desire for a particular end. And then I scrolled down, because they have an etymology section where it actually went along with the Latin, and ambition has this concept of desire for advancement. And here's where the conversation becomes really easy to have, but not exactly easy to understand. Because most of what I'm going to say is a yes, but if you look at it this way. This is one of those things that can make Christians you know, anxious if they're overly scrupulous. But let's approach it from a little bit more of a sober perspective, hopefully. So, ambition. Uh, a desire for advancement. Okay. Let's go to definition B from the dictionary. Desire for a particular end. Well, here are some questions. What is that end? Is it good in and of itself? Is it forbidden? Let's go to this idea of contentment. Here's what contentment is not. It is not resignation, and it is not stagnation. Looking at Blue Letter Bible and our handy-dandy Greek dictionary, this idea of contentment is this idea of being sufficient for one's self. So, self-sufficient, you know, no-brainer. So, being able to survive on your own means, by your own labor, those sorts of things. Or, possessing enough to need no aid or support. And that goes along with what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He talks about being thankful that the church in Philippi has revived their concern for him, basically meaning sending him money, though they had no need to do so. Like, he's grateful for that, because of what it indicates about them, their selflessness, their desire to help somebody out. But then he admits that he didn't necessarily need it because he has learned how to be content, sufficient for himself, in any given situation. He knows how to be poor and he knows how to abound. Another way of understanding this idea of contentment is being independent of external circumstances. And that's probably what Paul is really hitting at here. Let's say hypothetically he was starving. Maybe he would not have eaten had it not been for the generosity, the charity from caritas, meaning love. I think ultimately from the Greek charis, meaning dear, D-E-A-R. Maybe he would not have survived without that charity. 
But he could have still been content in this idea that he himself was independent of his external circumstances. He would not be consumed or governed by them. And this is where this idea of being content with your lot in life comes into play for the Christian. To use an analogy, I played poker for the first time in my life a little over a year ago. Maybe it was a little under a year ago. Somewhere around there. And I'm 39. Anyway, play the hand you're dealt. But play the hand. Which means the game has multiple rounds. In playing your hand, the cards will change. But that's not entirely by chance. That also involves participation and discernment by you as the player. So if you're dealt a bad hand at the beginning of the game, a hand that just sucks, don't necessarily bemoan it. I mean, you can recognize that. Yeah. Be sober-minded about it. And it's okay to be frustrated a little bit. Annoyed, shall we say. But don't get consumed by that. Don't become bitter by that. Play the hand. Play it smartly. Play it effectively. And play it godly. Because in Latin, this idea of content comes from a verb, contineo, contenere, which, I'll boil it down to a little bit of this, this idea of being restrained, self-controlled, sober-minded. Okay, so if you're a businessman, and you have ambition, question is, what is the end for which you are striving? What is it that you desire? Is this end forbidden? Is it good in and of itself? Is it necessary? Now, this last question is actually not a deal breaker. Some people would go, oh, if it's not necessary, then I shouldn't do it. Well, hold on. It's not a deal breaker question. It's just a necessary one for consideration and discernment. Put it on the table as you examine everything. Another thing to ask is, has an opportunity presented itself? Even the opportunity to Make the opportunity, you know, channeling the inner business person that I am not. You know, sometimes you need to go and make your own opportunities. I guess I did that once. Uh, I needed a job. And so I could have either just simply submitted an application and wait for the opportunity for an interview, which, yes, I will take this opportunity. Or instead of just simply dropping my application off and leave, create the opportunity for an interview, which I did. I went in, walked straight up to the customer service counter at Kohl's, asked to see a manager, and put my application directly in his hand. I was pseudo-interviewed right then, and we scheduled an actual interview on the spot for me to come in a few days later. Point being, has the opportunity presented itself? And this actually comes from 1 Corinthians 7 when Paul is talking about bondservants. Now, this is a larger discussion of Paul's regarding his concept of remain in the life in which you have been called. Meaning, when you became a Christian and your life was in a certain circumstance, don't seek to change that. But again, like I said earlier, these admonitions are yes, but let's look at it this way. Paul admonishes bondservants to not seek their freedom, like to not automatically become free or seek their freedom. But if the opportunity avails itself, by all means, take advantage of it. We have to also keep in mind that Paul's 
slavery, bond servantness as it existed in Paul's day, was not what we as modern-day Americans or even Westerners think of when we think of slavery. Now, to an extent, that type of servitude or human bondage did exist within the larger context of how slavery was practiced in the ancient world, but it wasn't resigned or exclusive to that. And this is not an admonition to simply endure the whip as so many unfortunate souls had to do. It's a matter of setting perspective. And we can get into a larger conversation about that, but let's get through this first. So, this idea of play your hand has the opportunity presented itself. Oh, looking at my notes. Okay, yeah. Paul's admonition to remain in the state in which you are called is not a command to be resigned or stuck, but instead... It's meant to warn against rash or unsober actions. So regarding what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 7, the gospel neither requires nor demands nor promises an alteration in circumstances for salvation or growing maturity in Christ. So these concerns need not consume us or cause upheaval and strife which distract from godliness and love, agape love. Is my ambition to grow my business going to consume me? Is it going to distract me? Is it going to make me unlevel-headed? It is possible for good goals to be so fixed in our attention that we become myopic. And you could argue that this is what Eve did. The fruit was good for food. It was beautiful. And it was desirable to make one wise, all three of which are, in and of themselves, not necessarily bad. And she became so fixated on these goals that she pursued them without considering the guidance and governance of God and his sovereignty. And in this, she sinned. Are your financial goals for the year going to be this consuming? Are your benchmarks for growing your business or your acquisitions going to be this consuming? Are you going to be lost in the forest? Are you going to be able to operate in the forest while cognizant of everything from, say, the GPS standpoint? There is sobriety of mind. And you could also bring in Ecclesiastes. To everything there is a season. With Abraham sending a servant to get a wife for Isaac, there was a time to do so, to actively engage in the alteration of circumstance for a good and godly end. But there are also times to not, as in Sarah and the incident with Hagar. Yes, a son, okay, but being consumed by this, the need to orchestrate something for yourself, which in of itself is good, I guess, to have a son, but to do so for yourself, to manipulate other people, that leads to strife. And it is not love. So maybe that's the best I can give you. How do you reconcile ambition with contentment? Well, those things, I guess. What's the end for which you're striving? And is it a good end? 
It is a good end to want to be able to provide for a family, to support a wife, to be attractive to a wife. It is a good end to build multiple businesses, multiple businesses which bring in a lot of money. And we also know from Ecclesiastes that it is okay to enjoy the wealth which God allows you to acquire. That's fine too. But what kind of a person are you? As you exist in these ever-shifting, or sometimes stagnant, circumstances. What kind of a player are you as you play the hand? As you pick up the next set of cards? As you engage with the other players at the table? Ambition's fine. But what kind of a man are you as you pursue it? Is your ambition the desire for an end an end which its pursuit can help you grow in godliness and fulfill the two greatest commandments? Or is it an ardent, burning desire for advancement which consumes you? And as you lose sight of these other things and could potentially, like Eve, be that very circumstance in which you blindly convince yourself To fall into sin. Now with that, I actually just remembered what I really wanted to end with, which is Proverbs chapter 3. It's, you know, one of the set of Proverbs, so familiar, it's what I call a Hobby Lobby verse. It's stuck everywhere on distressed wood and people decorate their houses with it. But consider it. Trust the Lord with all your heart. The heart being the seat of intelligence, consideration, emotion, will, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, your own interpretation of the world and your circumstances, and how to go about doing it, how to go about weathering it. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, meaning those things which will lead you towards calamity for yourself or for others or get you to myopically focus on the here and now and navel gaze, and because at the end of the day, when you die, what good did it do for you to advance in this world? If you were not mature in Christ, if it did not help towards that end, then it was to no avail, and it was futile, and it was frustrating. But rather, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, His guidance, His governance, And he will make straight your paths. The paths which have you circling in a circumstance. The paths which have you advancing from one to another. Either up or down. And he will teach you. And if you are open, you will learn how to be content in every circumstance and in their transitions. So, pursue your ambition. But do not forget God.